You're listening to Heart Food Podcast, episode 38. Welcome to Heart Food Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Pardo, nutritional therapy practitioner and private chef. This is a show that tells you the truth about food, nutrition, movement, mental health, mindfulness, and body image, all with a hefty dose of real talk. This show will inspire you, change your mindset, and help you feel more confident and comfortable in your own skin inside and out. To find the show notes for each episode and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, visit ashleypardo.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ashley K. Pardo. Find me on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Ashley Pardo. If you have a question to be answered on this podcast, please email it to heartfoodpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. So it's pretty ironic that I'm anxious about recording a podcast about anxiety and depression, Um, but this is probably going to be the most personal podcast episode I've ever put out there. It's a follow-up to a letter that I wrote to my newsletter list that got an amazing response that I shared on stories. And I even had people coming up to me in person telling me how like they've worked with me before and they're like, wow, she really gets it. Just because I have gone through all of this stuff, not only with food, but like just with general, you know, mental health stuff. And I just feel like in society, there's such a big stigma around it. People don't want to talk about it. They think that you're a freak or a weirdo or just like a subpar human. And it's just not true. And I'm also recording this because I thought I was all of those things. I thought I was less worthy and less than because I suffered in a way that I really didn't see exemplified at all through anybody that I looked up to. So that's really what this episode is about. I just want you guys to know that you're not alone and um, you don't need fixing. You don't need to be anybody else but who you are. These things are normal. We all go through this. None of us have our shit together. Uh, We're all struggling, but, you know, mental health is a spectrum. We have, you know, people who perhaps cannot function in society at all. And then we have, you know, people who don't suffer from it, but anywhere on that spectrum, we could fall and it's different for everybody. But if you suffer from these things, I really want to destigmatize it, normalize it. Uh, And I really wish that as I was going through this stuff throughout my life, I really wish that I had somebody who I admired, who seemed together by societal standards And also like on social media, everybody seems perfect too, Um, you know, to tell me that I was okay in feeling these things and that you can still be, you know, somebody who feels connected to themselves, who works hard, who can create their own business and, you know, kind of create their own life, the life that you want to and create your own living for yourself, even if you go through these things. So they don't have to be this thing that like you know, pauses your life or stops your life, which has happened to me many a time. Um, You can actually learn to live with it and kind of bring it along with you. And of course, there's things that help. And that's what I'm going to talk about towards the end of the episode. But I really want to spend this first part talking about kind of my story and what I have gone through without these things. And you know, I mean, sorry, <laughs> throughout, you know, these past few years and for my whole life, um, you know, cause I really hated myself for a long time because I went through these things and I felt so much shame. So not only was I anxious and depressed, but then I felt shame on top of it because I never saw anybody who, uh, went through these things. And I was always told that it was wrong. And, um, you know, simply because I was not aware of it and I couldn't understand it. And that's why I want to bring more awareness to it. I was always under the assumption that I was something to fix or that one day I would be, you know, quote unquote, fine. Um, that I could just like read a book or take a course and then everything would be perfect. So I started getting into self-help at an early age. I really 
became obsessed with going from one book to the other. And I always felt like a semblance of hope as I started each book because I'm like, okay, once I read this book, everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to have my like racing thoughts anymore and be anxious and, um, and feel depressed. But I loved that promise. That promise gave me a light at the end of the tunnel because it shields you from really doing the real work, which is just kind of sitting with yourself. That's what I really think that this whole thing is about. And what I really think that self-love is about, because this is a journey of self-love. Ayanla Van Zandt, who is an amazing author, says that the meaning of love is to be able to sit with yourself at any moment and just kind of sit there and be present with no matter what's going on inside of you. So I want to preface this with like, it isn't about fixing yourself. It isn't about um, perfection. It isn't about getting to a destination where you're going to be quote unquote, okay. Because if you think that every time that you read something or you reach a goal and you still feel the same, you're going to feel like you did something wrong and you're going to feel like something is wrong with you. And that's how I felt for most of my life. And that just spiraled me deeper into that shame spiral. And also shame isn't based in reality. It's based on, you know, our stories and our beliefs and our narratives. So even reading those books, like you might feel kind of like, you know, hopeful throughout the process. And of course, some books do make shifts in perspective and they're awesome, but it's when we really put the hope into them that they're going to like fix our lives and we need to arrive at some destination that, you know, things get skewed and it's just not the best for us. So I just want you to be aware of that. A good, a really good book that talks about that stuff is White Hot Truth by Danielle Lepore. Just saying that like we kind of have all the tools that we need to take care of ourselves and we don't always need to look for external validation or somebody to guide us necessarily, you know, for our own personal things. I'm not talking about like business strategy or something because that's really beneficial. I'm really just talking about like your life path and your own personal decisions and things like that. Um, And I also want to say that now since... I manage it and I'm at a really good place in my life. I know that my anxiety and my depression is the reason why I'm creative, why I'm deep, why I'm introspective, why I love to learn, why I feel so connected to something greater. I just have that feeling every single day and I'm able to connect to it and let it guide me. And I know that I would not be who I am without these things. And, you know, not letting it define me per se, but rather taking it along for the ride without judgment, but full acceptance. And just another caveat, full acceptance of it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm just going to be depressed forever. It's like, oh, I just have this, a brain and it's wired in a way that I have more of a tendency towards these things. So I might have to just, you know, put my self-care up a little bit more, do those things that I know make me feel great because I know I'm going to have to live with it. And I know that like depression is something that's kind of always lurking. So I need to be kind of vigilant about it and be really, you know, mindful of my self-care and how I choose to navigate myself in the world. Uh, And it's really just about how can I be present throughout everything that's going on. Because when I was growing up, nobody, nobody around me understood, and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it, really. Um, anybody that I talked to about uh, my issues would just tell me to, oh, just think positively. Uh, they would get frustrated. I'd get eye rolls. Um, they would just be obsessed with wanting to like fix me and just fix the problem, and I felt like a burden, um, you know, because that's the way that those things made me feel. And again, like I said, that just turned it into more shame on top of already really pretty severe anxiety. So knowing that it's always there, how can I take care of myself and accept myself when this is just the way that I am? And that's the guiding sentence throughout this whole podcast uh, to do what is right for you, to be present amongst what is happening and um, do what you need to do for yourself. And it's kind of fitting that I'm recording this episode today because I was actually at the dentist this morning and they put that um, 
kind of like the vest on you for the x-ray. And as they put it on me, I had always thought in the past too, that that was like such an amazing analogy for depression. People always ask what that feels like, what anxiety feels like. To me, anxiety feels like spiders and like Sprite, like almost something carbonated in my chest and in my shoulders. But depression feels like that vest that you get at the, at the dentist office when you're getting x-rays. And I, and it was on me this morning and I was just like, wow, I haven't felt this in a long time, but I know what it's like to feel that. So these are all the reasons why, uh, I wanted to do this episode and I want to, um, really get into my story and kind of how I've always been and how things have shifted throughout the years. Um, I didn't realize that I was anxious or depressed until I probably graduated college. I mean, I was always kind of a nervous, sad uh, kid, not necessarily sad all the time. Of course, I had my happy moments, but I noticed that I was a kid who felt all sorts of emotions. Like some kids were super happy all the time and wanted to play all the time. And I just felt like I was like an existential kid already wondering like, why are we here? What are we doing? I always wanted to know the deeper meaning of things. Um, I was also an overanalyzer of everything, taking everything personally. I was super paranoid, which is something that I still kind of have to this day. Uh, just thinking like catastrophizing worst case scenario, like literally, and I feel so ridiculous (laughs) saying this literally to this day, I'll hear a, a police siren, even though I do, you know, like nothing against the law. I hear a police siren and I'm like, they're coming after me. Like, that's the type of anxiety that I have. It's like, I'm always like kind of on edge. Um, and I just think that everything is kind of out to get me. And I think of worst case scenarios and that's just like my automatic system. And through the years, it's definitely gotten better, but, um, this is something that I still feel, uh, probably several times a week. And I, even as a young child, like I said, I always wondered, like, why are we here? I always had an issue with taking the world at face value. Like, there has to be more than what's happening here. I wanted more than that. I wanted more feeling, more intensity, which, like, as a child, uh, I don't know why I thought that way. Um, But I never allowed those feelings to really, like, manifest themselves. Um, I always numbed to something that's, like, from you know, why from such a young age, I used food to numb myself and to leave myself because for my whole life, thinking back, you know, as I was recording this episode, I was like, you know, really trying to think of my past with all of this stuff. I don't really remember ever, you know, allowing myself to feel these things up until I was like in my early twenties up until then it was just like anything I could get my hands on to distract myself. I did. Because in my family and kind of, you know, coincidentally, who I surrounded myself with, uh, self-worth always came from, you know, your body, any achievement that you made, your job, your money, your education. So again, I always threw myself into that and I became really, really, really good at hiding it. And like I said, uh, you know, I used exercise, I used work, relationships, food, my body, TV, everything. So throughout the time that I was a teenager, I kind of already talked about that part on the eating disorder episode where I talk about my story. I will put that episode in the show notes. But throughout that time, I had a really tough time with my parents and my mom and I did not get along, which you can also listen to my episode with my mom. So I don't want to get too much into the story with that because I've already kind of talked about that in episode one and in my story. Um, I really want to spend most of this episode talking about what's helped me and kind of like what's been happening recently with my story. But, you know, my parents didn't understand and I don't think they knew how to navigate it. Uh, They are amazing, but they are, um, you know, perfectionists. Uh, They very much like to be in control. So, They always gave us an amazing life and um, gave us everything we ever wanted, all the opportunities and support, anything we needed. It was like, can we get you a coach for that or a tutor or whatever? So I think when they saw that like something might potentially be wrong 
with not wrong, but you know, that, you know, their daughter might have something that's like, kind of like not normal. Um, which like also what is normal. Um, I don't think they knew what to do. So they're like, how can we fix it? How can we make this better? You know, we have to just get rid of it. We have to stop it. So like that, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, that really gave me a lot of shame and a lot of, um, just an, an, an inability to deal with this. So my parents and I continued to have a tough time and, there was a time even that I would take a bunch of pills, just like whatever pills I had laying around the house. And I would take all of them or threaten to take all of them to my parents so I could die. And looking back, I'm not sure if I actually took them. I was probably like maybe 15, 16, 17 at this time, but I would, you know, show them the empty bottle. And like I said, I can't remember if I like flushed them down the toilet or if I actually took them or what happened. Um, it was so long ago, almost 20 years ago, maybe like 15 years ago. Um, and I think looking back that it really makes me sad because it was just a cry for help. Like I had so many things going on. Like I said, I can't even pinpoint the emotions that I felt. It was just like discomfort and nope, I'm not going to feel this. So I'm going to do anything else, even if it's really, you know, intense like that to get attention, to do something different and to kind of wake them up. And I think that happened several times. And that was really the only time that I ever had any sort of like suicidal, um, you know, attempts, even though like, I really don't think it was because it's really vague to me. Um, but I still had later on thoughts of it, but that was like the only time that really something happened. So again, even though I had graduated college, I think right around that time is when I began to notice more of the anxiety and more of this, like just general nervousness in life, still thinking that like, you know, taking everything personally, everybody's out to get me the worst case scenario, literally going from zero to 60 and everything that I did. And this is when I started to like notice the rumblings, like hmm, maybe I have a different brain than other people. And I was always really thankful and very lucky that I had friends that were similar to me and I could talk to this with them even throughout high school and everything. Um, but around the time that I was 26, I noticed that there was something more going on here. I started getting into spirituality. I started getting into, you know, healthier alternatives and all of that. But I noticed that I had that rumbling again of that depression. And this is actually when my, um, you know, around 25, 26 is when I had that relapse of my eating disorder. So I think that at that point was the greatest, most intense depression that I had felt up until that point in my life. Quickly masked it with the eating disorder. I also started to see my first therapist around this time too. So that was like my first um, foray into therapy. And that was actually a big, big uh, part of my life and a big catalyst for me because up until that point, I kind of mentioned that like my parents and I really just had a tough time. We clashed a lot, um, back then. And I remember telling the therapist, like if they just, you know, understood me more and if they think that I'm okay, then I'll be okay. Because she had asked me, what is it going to take for you to feel comfortable and to feel okay? I'm like, well, if they just accept me, and if they just, you know, take me for who I am, then I'll be fine. And she's like, yeah, but what is that going to do for you? And that really made me think like, wow, everything in my life is really up to me. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Of course, I didn't put that into action yet. But at that point, I really began to see like, I am responsible for honoring myself. I'm responsible for my own healing. I'm responsible for doing what I want in my life and I can't blame other people. And I had just kind of like blamed my parents for everything. And that wasn't, I mean, I didn't know any better, I guess. 
but that wasn't obviously the right thing to do. So at this point, it really catapulted me to get curious about my own healing and um, to get curious about what was going on with me and really taking like the past 26 years and you know, uprooting them and really seeing what was going on. Everything that I had spent so much time and energy masking was now like beginning. I could kind of see it and I could kind of like, you know, it was kind of bubbling up to the surface, but of course I still was not ready to deal with it yet, even though the depression was there. And then I went to, um, you know, after this, I was with my therapist Then I went to grad school. Everything was great. I think my anxiety actually fueled my grad school experience because it was uh, an extremely heavy workload. And I was very intent on getting, you know, straight A's and doing really, really well. And I would torture myself with worrying about how I was going to do in school. And I remember doing a paper uh, for one of my classes with like a really respected professor was my final paper. And I literally thought I was going to get an F. And this is just to show you kind of how anxiety works. It just basically tricks you into a story. Like, have you seen those memes where it's like anxiety calling, like nothing's wrong. And then it's like, yes, there is, you know, so that's how anxiety is. And that's like, you know, at this point I can kind of laugh at it because it's like a daily thing for me that I just have to kind of, um, put that humorous spin on it because if not, it'll drive you insane. So I remember writing that paper and this is just one small example that exemplifies kind of like the whole experience. Um, I worried for weeks about turning in that paper. I turned it in. He took a little bit longer to grade it. I was convinced that I got enough and then I was going to have to quit grad school and then my parents were going to get, be so mad at me. And then I was going to be homeless. This is like how the anxiety goes. Uh, One small thing that doesn't even exist catapults into the next thing. And for me, it's always like you're going to be homeless. And these are thoughts that still go through my head sometimes, even though none of them are real. None of them have any sort of reality at all. Um, But I ended up getting the paper back and I got an A+. And he was like, this is one of the best papers I've ever seen. So that's just like you know, even though my grad school experience was amazing, it was definitely fueled by that anxiety. And also throughout this time, I think I had mentioned that I, I think I mentioned in one of my other podcasts that I witnessed somebody that I was in love with at the time. I witnessed him having an affair on me. Um, well he wasn't having an affair on me, but we were, cause we were broken up. (laughs) But, um, he was with a woman who um, he was friends with throughout the whole time that we were together. And I saw that and I immediately noticed that that was a moment of strength for me because I'm like, okay, if I can see that and not fall apart and not, you know, spiral down, you know, I can be strong. And that's like, you know, I also want you guys to realize too, that when we go through really tough things and when we survive things that we don't think that we will, that's where our strength comes in. So just as a tangent, going throughout all of this stuff, I just want you to know that like, if you're going through tough things, it makes you a gritty person. It gives you that edge and it does make you stronger. So once I saw that and I was like, okay, I just didn't like melt into a puddle and die. I am still here and, um, and I'm feeling like, okay, Uh, that really gave me a lot of strength to move forward. And it catapulted me again into just slowly having that journey of feeling better. And throughout this time too, I started getting the strength to go out as an entrepreneur and really try my own thing. I also, this was the time that I went to Italy too. But when I got back to Miami, that's when I really started my business. And um, which is scary still to this day, even six years in. Um, but that is something that's also given me a lot of strength and put, you know, taken me out of my comfort zone. And for me personally, I can't imagine any other life than being an entrepreneur, even though it's uncertain, even though it, um, is hard, even though it's going to stretch you and grow you and everything takes way longer than you think it does. Um, 
it, and it does, um, you know, it does sometimes, you know, add to my anxiety. I just can't picture myself doing it, doing anything else. And kind of sounds like masochism. Um, but it is not, it is my life's mission. And I'm like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get this message out there to bring, uh, you know, my education to a large audience. So, so once my business started to grow, this is when I really just started like working out more and eating better. And this is when I found out that like, you know, whole foods made me feel better. Um, so I just became really intent on that. I'm like, okay, if I just eat really, really well and I exercise all the time, I'm not going to be anxious anymore. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm not going to feel any of these things. I'm just going to like, you know, read a lot, read a lot of like, you know, spiritual texts. I'm going to go to bed early. And, and what ended up happening was that I just isolated myself and I became orthorexic. And this was around 27, um, 27 years old, maybe six years ago, five or six years ago. Um, and that slowly, as you can imagine, even though I, what my business was successful, um, I had an amazing house that I was living in, um, that I paid for with my own money. Um, and I was really proud of myself. So on the surface, everything looked awesome, which is another sign of like depression. Like it really doesn't matter what's going on. Um, you know, you can feel very alone and very isolated even amongst all of that stuff. Um, I felt like shit and I became very depressed and I became completely obsessed with food and I was binging like crazy. And, um, and the only reason I was binging was because I was restricting and I wasn't feeling well. And I just was continued to be isolated. Literally, I would do CrossFit on the weekends and then I would just come home and eat and then just like stay home, ignore invitations from my friends, ignore like dating. Um, I was also at a job that I didn't like at all. Um, even though I had my own business at the time too, I was working full time for one family and, you know, they were a great family, but the hours and the demands of, um, being sort of like an on-call type of person just did not work for my personality. I definitely need like that space, but that's just something that you learn as you go. But that just didn't contribute to my mental health. It definitely made me more anxious just at any moment knowing that like things could change or that things could, um, you know, in my head, again, I'm catastrophizing everything, kind of like waiting for like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And that just didn't work for me. And I didn't realize it at the time because, um, I just didn't know. And so then that allowed me again to be obsessed with my eating, be obsessed with exercise. Um, so I also, around this time, I started doing Ashtanga yoga, which is kind of, um, kind of like a Hatha style of yoga. It, there's no music. It's like, you know, a very strict traditional sequence and you are given poses by a teacher and you kind of do the same thing every day unless you get a new pose. So like the practice is fully tailored to you. If traditionally when you're in a room with people, um, let's say you're doing a yoga class, everybody's going at their own pace and there's no music. So it's like really intense and it's meant to be more of a training for the mind. Like you use the poses as a tool in order to get closer to the mind. So I, I did that yoga and I kind of became obsessed with it too. And I'm like, as long as I do my two hour practice a day, everything's going to be fine. And if you guys listened to the episode with Gretchen, she was actually the teacher that I had when I got deeper into the practice and I was using the practice, even though I loved it and I still love it so much. And this is why it also matters too, like with the intention that you're using to do certain things. If you're doing something for the enjoyment of it and because you love it, that's amazing. But if you're doing something because you think it's going to fix you or make you perfect or, um, or whatever, it just can be very dangerous, especially for somebody who can be very obsessive. So when I first started doing yoga in like that really intense way, uh, practicing with people that had been practicing for a really long time, I made it my mission to do anything to not miss that practice. 
So I would get to the studio. I would do like, you know, still eating super clean, not drinking alcohol, not eating sugar. But then of course, like maybe binging sometimes, um, I would get to the studio, I would do a 20 minute meditation and then I would do a two hour yoga practice. And then I would get in my car and I would just feel instantly depressed. And, and then I would go straight to work. Basically, I would just change there and kind of like freshen up and go straight to work. I was also on a low carb diet at this time too, which as we talk about later, what are the things that can make you feel better? Low carb diet, I don't think contributes to brain health. Um, mentally to make you happier. I mean, carbohydrates do make you really happy. Like who can uh, disagree with that? So I really think that the low carb diet might have contributed to that, but, um, that was my daily thing for about two years, maybe two or three years. Um, I still, I'm not practicing yoga right now a lot. I do my own little stuff, maybe just 15 or 10 minutes a day, but those long practices I really haven't done in a while. Um, I've just felt that I've needed to take a little bit of a break from them, even though, again, I really love the practice and I love the teacher. Um, and I love everything that I've learned, but, um, I feel like sometimes there's just a time and place for everything and maybe I'll get back to it one day, but for now, um, I feel great with what I'm doing at home. But, um, that really made me feel like crap because I was like, here's this thing that was supposed to make me feel awesome. And I'm putting all this effort into it and it's just making me feel horrible. Um, and I feel, and it wasn't the practice itself. It wasn't, uh, the people, it was just my own expectations about what it was going to do for me and how it was supposed to fix me. Again, having that notion that like one day you'll be fixed one day, everything will be okay. And when you kind of like look to something in the future to be your saving grace, um, when it really should just be yourself. And I'm getting kind of emotional, uh, talking about this stuff because I really just wish I had known that all along. And I want you to know that too. So the more yoga I did, the worst I felt. I also began dating Derek around this time too, which was (laughs) awesome. Um, by the time I met him, I, um, was kind of, um, my food stuff had settled pretty much, but I still kind of, um, was not feeling awesome in my brain, but I felt like, I'm like, okay, this is like the first nice guy that I've met in a really long time throughout me talking about that job before I wasn't dating at all. I was just like really focused, very isolated. So meeting him was like, forced me to get more comfortable with like, going out more and going out to restaurants, which I had feared, um, you know, when I was in my obsessive days and I, you know, started to have a little bit more fun and allowed myself to have a little bit more fun. I also started drinking a lot more. I mean, what do you do when you get in a new relationship? You drink and you eat. And that's what we did for like probably the first six months. Like every weekend we would just go out and party and have an awesome time until he noticed like probably around that time, um, you know, maybe a year into our relationship that drinking does not work for me. So since then, I mean, obviously now we're engaged, we're getting married and, um, we've been together for four years, but throughout, uh, the beginning, I didn't feel good. And I went through, I started going through a big depression. It had nothing to do with him. And I think for him, it was something new because, well, I know for a fact it was something new. Um, he had never dealt with that before really, or perhaps like, um, you know, been exposed to somebody as like, you know, with the intense spectrum of emotions as me, somebody who has to like take extra care of themselves and do all these things. Um, who's like super highly sensitive. So him, for him, it was a learning experience too. And for me, it was really hard to open up about that and to talk about it because up to that point, I really only shared it with people like who I'd known my whole life. Basically, I've pretty much had like the same lifelong friends my whole life. Um, or people that I met, like a couple of my friends in grad school that I became really good friends with people here and there that I developed really close deep relationships with. Those are the relationships that I love and that I thrive off of. I'd rather have just a handful of amazing, deep, you know, incredible relationships with my girl, with my girlfriends, uh, as opposed to, you know, having lots of acquaintances that are just kind of surface. 
Um, so for me to open up to him, it really took a long time. And <clears throat> excuse me, um, it really took a long time and it was hard. And from the moment that I opened up, he just became a source of support for me. And he is that for me until this day. And he really encouraged me to get out of my comfort zone sometimes and try things and do things. But still, I still felt pretty much depressed all the time. And this was also difficult too, because at this point we were getting to know each other, getting intertwined with each other's families, doing things all the time. And like sometimes... I could just not get out of bed and he would have to go by himself to whatever it was and, or I would have to cancel with my parents or whatever, which my parents knew the whole time at this point, they, um, you know, I could be very open with my mom. I remember one day not being able to get out of bed and, um, calling my mom just in bed being like, I don't know what to do. I really don't want to get out of bed and I don't know what to do with myself and she just kind of like talked me through it. And, um, you know, and I remember one time throughout this time, um, me just crying to my dad, who seems like a tough guy, but he's actually like a big softy. I remember crying to him and being like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like everything, you know, is supposed to be awesome. Like I have a good business and I have this amazing partner and like, I have a great life. And I feel like crap all the time and I don't know what to do. And my dad held my hand and he started crying and he was like, we will do whatever it takes to help you. And this was probably in 2014 that this was happening, maybe um, early 2015. Um, so throughout this time too, I had also gained weight, which for me was very, very difficult. You know, even though I've gotten a handle on all of this body image stuff, I am not immune to having those struggles. So again, you know, Derek and I going out all the time, me, um, being obsessed with my diet and stuff, I had ended up gaining like 30 pounds, not 30, maybe like 20 or 25. It really doesn't matter. The fact is that I just didn't care about my body at that point, And that happened. And, you know, now through many years later of just like eating what works for me, I'm back, um, you know, to where I feel great and comfortable without really trying that hard. Um, just like being happy and honoring myself. And I know that sounds trite. You're like, okay, whatever you're honoring yourself, but like, that is why I'm so passionate about food. And I want you guys to know too, that like, even if you suffer from food stuff, dealing with this underneath stuff, that's really the big lesson here is that you have to deal with it or else it's going to, you know, come back and, um, just really come back and never leave you alone. So throughout this time, um, I was also journaling, doing everything that I could and also eating well. And, um, I still found myself in that place where I would cry all the time. I couldn't get out of bed. Um, I didn't want to do anything. It was still, even though I would express myself, it was really hard for me to say it sometimes, crying daily. I remember one time I was coming back from a client of mine's home, on my way home, and my best friend called me and she was like, you know, Hey, what's up? And I just started bawling, crying. Like, I don't know why, like every day this is happening. And she was like, all right, what are we going to do about it? How can we make it better? Like, and I'll talk about this later, but like to have that support in your life is so important. So I started to ease up on my exercise, my food obsession. Um, I definitely began to get better and about you know, that was probably from, I probably spent from like 2015 to 2016 doing that and feeling great, uh, feeling better, but still feeling that like voice in my head, that depression coming on. And I went to go see, um, and I hadn't really, I had told only a handful of my friends and of course Derek knew and my parents knew, but they were like, think positively, you know, just try to be better. And Derek had actually suggested, you know, medication. Like, why don't you just maybe try it and see if it works for you? So I went to go see my friend who is actually my doctor. And she 
I went in for a checkup and I just broke down to her because again, I was hiding it and I just broke down and I told her everything that was happening. And she's like, you know, I've noticed like, you just don't seem the same, like you're same you. And I was like, I know, like when we just like were there crying together in the room and she's like, you know, maybe you should try taking something for this. And for me, somebody who is so steeped in the holistic world, somebody who tried so hard to get everything perfect, to get everything, um, you know, to just feel better and to feel great, that stuff wasn't working. And it doesn't matter how many supplements I took. It doesn't matter how many, um, med- how much meditation I did, how much yoga I did, how much I journaled, how much positive self-talk and ma- mantras and, you know, whatever, eating brain dust or any of that, or bulletproof coffee, any of that crap, none of that made me feel a hundred percent. And I had spent so much of my energy those past few years before that, putting everything into that to try to get better. And at this point I was like, you know what, I'll just try whatever. And I really felt a lot of shame at that point. And, um, she, even though she could have prescribed me the, the medication, I decided to go see a psychiatrist and, um, I went to go see the psychiatrist and I spent like two hours telling her my whole story, basically just like my anxiety, my catastrophizing worst case scenario. So she diagnosed me with generalized anxiety, which then causes depressive disorder. So like I don't think she diagnosed me. Um, it doesn't sound awesome that I'm like not sure, but she said that it was not um, like the general depressive uh, disorder. It was fueled by the anxiety. So um, I think all those thoughts, I think worst case scenario, I'm going to be homeless. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And then I got depressed about it. So she put, and because she knew she had, I had um, a history of bulimia, she put me on 10 milligrams of Prozac in October, 2016. I'll never forget that month, um, because it's going to be almost two years now, but, um, she prescribed that to me. And I remember holding the pill bottle and I remember looking at it that day. And I remember my best friend calling me and being like, all right, today's the day you're going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. And then my other best friend, um, who kind of has some of these things as well. Um, she's like, you know what, if somebody has like an issue with their liver, they take a pill for their liver. I mean, that's just like an example. So if you have something in your brain, you just have to take a pill for it and it's okay. It's totally fine. And having their support really felt awesome. And I remember that night coming home from the psychiatrist and Derek coincidentally was going out that night with one of his friends and he's like, do you want me to stay home? Um, you know, I'll stay home with you because it's like the first night. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. Like it's no big deal. And it was actually, I think beneficial for me to kind of be alone and take it. And I just sat there by my coffee table and took it with my water. And in about a week I felt like, hallelujah, (laughs) like a completely brand new person. And that's how I felt ever since. And I don't want you guys to think that I think that medication's just like a quick fix or that um, it's something that can mask all of these issues because that isn't what it is because I still have my moments. And I even remember telling my mom one time that I was sad and she was like, but why are you sad? You're on the pill. You know, you're on, you know, you're on medication. And, um, and that's not really how it is. Not all the problems are solved. It just makes like your daily life way better. So ever since I did that about maybe two weeks starting into it, I just felt amazing. And that just really exemplifies to me that it's just a brain thing. And that's why I really want you guys to know that as well. And I want you to recognize it and to honor it that sometimes, Some of our brains are just different and by fighting it and by not accepting it and by making yourself feel like shit about it, it's not going to help. 
What's going to help is getting help and talking to somebody about it, which I didn't mention a lot in this episode uh, because I never really connected to many of my therapists, but I did have a couple therapists in between, but I found that besides my first therapist, many others didn't really help that much. Um, because I found that it was just like rehashing the same things over and over. I found the greatest help in like being present with myself and journaling and doing things that made me see why, like seeing why I had the narratives that I had and unpacking that. My yoga teacher really helped me with that too, who I also saw for therapy um, a little bit was just like unpacking those beliefs and seeing why you believe the things that you do and writing it down and seeing where it's connected to and why that happened. Because literally sometimes the way that we think it's like literally cemented in our brains. So we can actually dismantle that with things. So once I kind of got my brain back to equilibrium and I started to like feel better, I started feeling like I could actually get my life back. Like I could function, like I could go a whole day without crying. Um, I'm still on that 10 milligrams. And I will be on it until I feel like I don't have to anymore. And if I have to, then I have to. Um, But I've even had some times where I'm like, oh, I feel great. Let me just not take it. And I know Glennon Doyle talks about this because she has some medications that she takes. Um, But I stopped taking it and I felt them coming back again. And that's why I just want to reiterate that sometimes your brain is just wired in a different way than other people's. And that's basically my story. And that's where I am today. And I want you to know that you can do many things to help you. I just want to go really quick over some things that I wrote down that really helped me besides the medication. And and again, consult your doctor, talk to people, um, you know, do your research, see what is best for you. Um, And I also do these things in conjunction with it. And I find that they help me immensely. If I let go of these things, then the wheels kind of fall off the car and I feel like shit. So these things are really are not about dogma or about, you know, um, doing it because I'm a more worthy person or whatever. I really hate when things come across like that. These are just like, it's reality. When I do these things, I feel good. And when I don't, I don't. So like, I really don't like hearing the dogmatic, like, you must do these things. Like, can we just look at it objectively? And can we just say, like, these things just make you feel better? Um, Not talking about any of you guys that are listening. I'm just talking about, like, other wellness people that are very dogmatic in their messaging. Um, You know, so just want to put that out there. These things really do help. The first one is obviously nutrition. Um, It's avoiding sugar It's uh, eating protein at every meal. That is huge. I even find myself now when I eat sugar, which I hardly ever do, uh, if I eat sugar continuously, maybe for about a week, I start to get depressed, even more depressed. And I start to pick fights with Derek and kind of like I'm on edge. And that happened yesterday. Like we were, um, you know, just having a great morning. And then I picked a fight with him for no reason, just like just in talking. I'm like, well, why'd you say that to me like that? He's like, but I didn't say anything, (laughs) you know? And then I'm like, oh shit, I ate the chocolate. And he's like, yep. You know? So (laughs) we just kind of know in our relationship, like, you know, if I eat that stuff, it just kind of like makes me a little more on edge. So avoiding sugar for the most part, uh, getting a lot of fiber and greens and vegetables and fruits, unprocessed foods and eating protein, animal protein. Um, specifically, Because when we eat animal protein, the amino acids that um, make up animal protein um, in like the literal cell of the protein go into the brain to make serotonin. So that's really awesome. So if you eat protein at every meal, it just keeps you stable. It makes you feel awesome. You got your neurotransmitters. You're feeling good. And even though it's annoying to eat protein at every meal or even just a little bit, whether it's like some cheese or an egg or, um, you know, like a protein bar, even a protein shake or something, um, having that three times a day has really, really made a huge difference for me in the way that I feel. I'm not like as snacky. I don't want to eat a ton of carbs. I just really am motivated to eat awesome. Um, And it's made a huge difference. And I even actually had a client of mine 
tell me the exact same thing. Um, a cooking client of mine told me the exact same thing that she started eating protein, um, and her mental health really improved just by eating it. Uh, so that's like a scientific fact. And I actually wrote a blog post about it, um, that I will share in the show notes. Uh, another thing is making sure your digestion is working great. Um, throughout the time that I was like depressed in college and in, um, perhaps high school, my, uh, digestion didn't work at all. So I had no idea back then that that was a thing, but the gut is a second brain. So it is very important that, um, we take care of it and we do that by, uh, eating whole foods, eliminating for the most part, processed foods, not all of them, like have them when you want them, but, um, really focusing on high fiber foods, maybe taking a probiotic or a prebiotic, um, and just making sure that you're pooping every day. Like that is huge for mental health, right? Like there's almost nothing better than that. Some good supplements that I might take, not to make these dogmatic, but like they do help with digestion. It's magnesium, uh, activated charcoal, L-glutamine, or digestive enzymes. Um, those are really good for digestion, uh, but just make sure that you are regular. If you're having trouble, you're feeling bloated, the top four contenders for bloating is gluten, dairy, sugar, and alcohol. All the fun shit. <laughs> but trust me, if you take those out just for a little bit, you will see a remarkable difference, especially if you're feeling bloated and especially if you feel like you can't go to the bathroom. Also sweating and exercise or even just general movement, like non-negotiable every single day. Find what works for you. I find that for me, I have like a lot of energy in the morning, a lot of like pent up energy that I need to like release. And that happens to me by, um, going to the gym or working out here, but definitely getting in like, uh, or going for a long walk or doing my yoga and stretching general movement, non-negotiable. If you're anxious and, um, going through that and you're not moving, you have to like, not in a bad way, but just like, it'll change your life. Another thing is a a mantra. I was going to say mantra, but I say just two mantras to myself. And I'm not talking about like affirmations where you smile at yourself in the mirror and you're like, I am beautiful, even though that can be great too. Um, But I just say to myself, this is from Tara Brock. She says, real, but not true. Like real, but not true. Like I'm hearing that thought, but it's not true. And another one is, um, is it true? just by Byron Katie, uh, and Byron Katie's the work. So I would really recommend looking into Tara Brock and Byron Katie. Um, if you want to find out more about that, um, another thing is acceptance and really accepting the way that you are. Again, I kind of touched on it before, but the more we fight stuff, the worse it's going to get, accept the way you are, um, do what you can about it. And, eventually try to get to a place where you can love yourself because you don't go, you know, from one side of the spectrum to the other side. You don't go from self-love to self, I mean, self-hate to self-love in a day. It's not a night, it's not a light switch. It happens after many years and much practice and doing all of these things. Um, Another thing is honoring who you are. Do the things that make you happy. Do the things that make you have fun, avoid the things that don't. Uh, I kind of talked about that a couple episodes ago in the non-drinking episode of the lessons that I learned of like the things that I like, maybe somebody else doesn't like, and that is okay. Another thing that really helps me is music. I love classic rock. I love me some electric light orchestra, any song with trumpets, like Simon and Garfunkel, keeping the customer satisfied, like any of those, like really like Queens, um, don't stop me now. Any of those songs that are uplifting and amazing or instrumental, even like Red Tat or Girl Talk, um, are just amazing, you know, get you in like a different state. Um, I just, I can't live without music. I need to jam out to something that makes me feel great. Lizzo is one that I've been listening to a lot lately. And of course, Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, I'm obsessed with it like everybody else, but all of those like feel good, positive songs that you can just like belt out and dance and feel good in the middle of the day or whenever, it makes such a big difference. 
Another one is supportive relationships. This is so important because in many of my relationships, I felt like I couldn't fully be myself and I couldn't really say a lot of things, but in surrounding yourself with people that understand and um, people that perhaps have the same struggle as you, it's imperative that you surround yourself with those people and that you realize that other people like you exist. So for me, it you know, I think once I kind of like got on that path and I was in like, for example, my nutritional therapy school, I met a lot of people like me, people to this day that might suffer from the same things. I know that my really good friend, my amazing friend, um, Madison, who was on the podcast, um, her and I have connected a lot because we suffer from a lot of these same things. Um, so really finding people that understand and then having people that you can text in any moment. Like I have a group chat with, um, two of my best friends and another one with one of my best friends who really suffers to like, has like the kind of the same brain as me. We just kind of like really relate. We catastrophize, we go to worst case scenario, we're nervous. Um, I'll send her a voice note, like, Hey, this is happening and she will validate me and it'll feel amazing. And she does the same for me. And then of course, if you're in a loving relationship, your partner has to understand what you go through and they have to be there for you. And maybe in the future, you know, Derek is a behind the scenes man. He's the producer of this show. So he does all of it. Um, I basically just record and then he puts it together for me. But, um, maybe we'll do a podcast about it one day. Who knows? Um, but he is the most supportive and loving and um, just open partner. Like he's learned so much with me on this journey and he's just with me every step of the way. Um, for example, yesterday, <laughs> I've been obsessed with the Real Housewives lately and I watched all of them <laughs> over the past like six months. And it's like a thing in our house. Like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching the Housewives. So, um, I texted him the other day and I go, I'm officially depressed. And he calls me, he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, it was a joke. Like I, <laughs> my housewives ended and <laughs> that's why I'm depressed. And, um, but that's like just an example of like, he was there with me when I couldn't get out of bed crying. You know, he would cuddle me and hold my hand and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And when we went to restaurants with people and I felt so anxious about it, he would hold my hand under the table and just like massage and like kind of caress my knee and just like, let me know everything was going to be okay. Um, and things aren't like that anymore at this point. Um, now we don't have many of those things that I go through a lot, but, um, he's still there for me all the time, anything that I need. And I just encourage you to find a partner like that because that's what you deserve. And I hear from so many people so many women who say that their partners don't support them in that way. And I just don't think that's cool or fair because you deserve better. And it's also to going on with relationships to also try to reduce or eliminate any exposures with people that make you feel like shit. So I do have some of those people in my life and perhaps I cannot cut them out completely because of whatever reason, but I just try to kind of minimize my interaction. I don't talk too much or whatever. And you can tell, like when you see people sometimes and they just kind of make you feel worse than you did when you got there. So like, or maybe things change, you don't have as much in common, but just really focus on the people who are good for you. And the last thing that I want to say is reading and I know I said that before self-help was not um, the most awesome thing, but I've recently been reading some books by Tara Brock, John Kabat-Zinn. I read an amazing book by Sarah Wilson called First We Make the Beast Beautiful, which is the best book on anxiety that I have ever read in my life. Um, but I will put some of those in the show notes and I will do another episode, a follow-up to this one, talking about getting more into the resources, getting more into the lessons learned, getting a little bit more into like perhaps the science of stuff. I just wanted this to be an off-the-cuff episode of what my history was, what the exact feelings that I go through are, um, which I think I talked about 
pretty thoroughly. And the fact that if you need to go on medication, like I did, um, it's okay for me. Like I said, it was like, I felt like a fraud. I felt like I had a big, um, I felt like a failure at the beginning, but once I saw how much it helped me, I'm like, there's no way that this isn't just my wiring. So I really just want to encourage you guys to do what you need to do for yourself, accept yourself, find people who can support you. Don't let anybody make you feel like shit about your feelings. All your feelings are valid. And I love you guys. If you're still listening at this point, thank you so much for staying with me throughout this whole episode and can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much for listening to Heart Food Podcast. To find the show notes for this episode, visit ashleypardo.com. Follow Ashley on social media at Ashley K. Pardo. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your family and friends and give us some love by subscribing and leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes.